Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we're going to go over a very interesting topic. We're going to talk about taxes. The taxes is a big reason why real estate investing is so interesting. There are so many ways that you can save on your taxes and you just pay less tax versus other investment vehicles. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to a meetup group where two CPAs were presenting. And disclaimer, I'm not a CPA myself. I'm not a tax professional. I will be reading off of their slides that they so generously provided for us. And you're going to hear during the podcast that I'm going to be reading off of it and I might be confused, but it's okay. I do this so that we can all learn together. So without further ado, let's go through the slides. So the new tax law, the new tax law started in 2018 and it will go all the way until December 31st of 2025. And then it's going to revert back to the 2017 tax law. So what that means is we have a good eight years to try this new system out. If it doesn't work, boom, automatically revert back to our old tax law. New tax brackets. I'll read everything from the married filed jointly side. The single side, you can basically just take that number and then divide it by two. Uh, except for this one part where it's 35%. They have different thresholds that tip you over to the 37%. Head of households also have a different number, but you know most people only care about married file jointly or single. And estate or trust, which is a kitty tax, also gets taxed. So yeah, but I think most of my listeners don't have a trust, so we won't worry about that. So for married file jointly, the 10% bracket is from zero to $19,050. So surprisingly, there's no 0% tax bracket. If you make $1, you get charged 10 cents. The 12% bracket is from $19,051 to $77,400. The 22% bracket is from $77,401 to $165. And the 24% tax bracket, $165 and $1 to $315,000. And 32% tax bracket is from $315 and $1 to 400,000. So I think most of the people uh, who work normal day jobs is going to be in this 24 to 32% tax bracket. And of course this tier does not like once you hit 165 $1, then all your taxes is tw- is 24%. It's your first 19,000 is 10%, then your next whatever to 77 is 12%, and then from 77 to 165 is 22%, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for 35%, this is where it differs from single. Uh, if you're married file jointly, then it starts from $400,001 to $600,000. And then anything above $600,000, you get taxed at 37%, which is a lot of money. <laughs> but if you're single or you're just filing separately, then the 35% is $200,001 to $500,000. And anything above $500,000, then you're paying 35%. So what that means is, let's say both of you you and your wife are making $400,000 each, it's probably better to just file separately because you guys only stay at the 35% tax bracket. But if you combine your incomes and you're making $800,000, now $200,000 of that is going to be taxed at the 37% tax rate. Okay, so long-term capital gains rates. So same thing for the married filing jointly. At 0%, it's 0 to 77,200. I'm not entirely sure what 0% means exactly, because I hear conflicting you know, stuff. Does it mean that if your capital gains for the year is less than 77000 and if you're filing jointly, 
does that mean that your capital gains is zero? Because that'd be pretty cool. Or does that mean that, you know, your AGI, your income plus your capital gains is 77,000? Not sure. For 15%, which is where most people are, it's from $77,201 to $479,000. And anything above $479,000 is taxed at 20%. So if you have a property and you sold it for a million dollars, then you know the first 77 tax free and then the next up to 479 is at 15% and anything above 479 is taxed at 20%. Single is a little bit better. For the 15% bracket is actually from $38,601 to $425,800. So it's definitely better to be single if you're each making significant capital gains for the year. Of course, head of households and estate trusts also have them, but since most people don't fall there, we're going to skip that. Okay, estate and gift tax exclusions. The estate and gift tax exclusion is $11,180,000 for 2018. And in 2017, it was $5,490,000. So that means that if you passed away in 2019, you can give away another $5,500,000 or so tax-free, which is pretty awesome. And the annual exclusion for gifts is $15,000 for 2018. In 2017, it was 14000 So I can give away $15,000 to as many individual friends as I want. And I don't have to report it. I don't have to pay tax on it. I mean, they don't have to pay tax when they receive it too. So it's pretty beneficial if you want to, uh, if you want to gift like your kid a car or something and you're married. You and your wife can each gift $15,000 each and then there's no tax. Pretty cool. Alternative minimum tax. The exemption amounts are 109400 for married file jointly and 70300 for single, 24600 for estates and trusts. So I guess if you make more than that, then you have to start paying AMT. And the phase out is temporarily increased to $1 million if married file jointly and 500000 for all other individuals and 81900 for estates and trusts. Phase out 25% for each $1 AMTI exceeds the threshold. What that means, I have no idea. It's funny that there's a marriage penalty, whereas there is no marriage benefit for your AMT. You still get $1 million phase out versus $500,000 for single. So for the individual tax rates, it's 26% from 0 to 191500 and 28% for tax rate over 191500 Personal casualty and theft loss deduction. Itemized deductions for personal and casualty losses are suspended from 2018 to 2025. And taxpayers may still claim losses from 2018 through 2025 for federally declared disasters. And taxpayers can still claim personal casualty losses on items on itemized returns to offset any personal casualty gains. So there's a lot of different ways to compute your casualty damage, but it's a lot and we're not going to read it. So here's an example of personal casualty and theft loss deduction. So for example one, a taxpayer with a personal residence in Texas experienced a total loss of her 2,000 square foot home in Hurricane Harvey. In Hurricane Harvey, what a tongue twister. In computing the amount of her casualty loss, the taxpayer would use Table 1, Total Loss of Revenue Proc 2018-9, which provides a cost index per square foot for a medium-sized personal residence of $195. So her loss will thus equal $390,000. That's 2,000 square feet times the 195 that we talked about earlier. 
Okay, second example. A married couple filing a joint return have a combined AGI of $75,000 in 2018. And during the year, they're very unlucky and they experience multiple personal casualties. The wife's uninsured wedding ring is stolen, resulting in a $17,500 loss. And as a result of a lightning strike, the taxpayers lose their home. But they have replacement insurance, and that results in a $15,000 taxable gain. And finally, the state they're in endures a federally declared disaster in which their car is destroyed, resulting in a $20,000 casualty loss. Now, since the taxpayers experience a personal casualty gain, they may offset it with a portion of their non-federally declared casualty loss. Okay, so they had a personal casualty gain of fifteen grand. They lost the ring of 17500 So that's their personal casualty loss from a non-federally declared disaster. The amount deductible, uh, 20000 is their net, subject to the AGI limitation. And 10% of their AGI is 7500 because they made 7500 Or they made $75,000. Jeez, there's so many numbers here. So you subtract... 20 grand from 7,500, and you have $12,500 as a deductible casualty loss. And you put that in your Schedule A, line 20. The lesson here is pay for a good CPA. They might find these things that you wouldn't, but it's good to know. Okay, kitty tax changes. Impose on net unearned income of a child if the child is, reti- is required to file a tax return. The child's investment income is greater than $2,100. Either the parents are alive at the end of the year. And at the end of the tax year, the child is either under 18 or under 19 and doesn't provide more than half of his or her own support with earned income, or under age 24 with a full-time student, or under age 24 as a full-time student and doesn't provide more than half of his or her own support with earned income. Child tax credit. From 2018 through 2025, the credit is $2,000 per qualifying child. That's cool. And the phase-out is $400,000 for married filed jointly and $200,000 for any other filing status. There's a $50 credit available for qualifying relatives who are citizens, nationals, or relatives of the United States. Cool. A portion of the credit is refundable, but only for qualifying children. The refundable portion is 15% of the taxpayer's earned income in in excess of $2,500, but is limited to $1,400 in total. So let's see what that means. I guess if you have a child, the refundable portion is 15% of the taxpayer's earned income, okay, in excess of $2,500, but it's limited to $1,400 in total. Okay, sure. Okay, 529 plan exchange. So these are for your kids, um, their school plans. Before it was limited to just college. Now the new tax law allows for distributions to be made for elementary and secondary tuition. Qualified higher education expense shall include a reference to expenses for tuition in connection with enrollment or attendance at an elementary or secondary public, private, or religious school. The distribution for K-12 education is limited to ten grand per student per year regardless of how many accounts are making the distribution. So yeah, you can now use a 529 to pay for your private school. Cool. Alright, individual health insurance mandate repeal. So effective for months beginning after December 12th, 2018, the amount owed by any taxpayer under the individual health insurance mandate, shared responsibility payment, 
for lack of minimum health insurance for themselves and dependents is zero. So that means that Obamacare got repealed and you no longer have to have health insurance. And if you don't have health insurance, you don't have to pay the penalty like you did before. Uh, wait, what? And it's very funny. The very next slide says health insurance mandate penalties. So it must be before this December 12th date. In 2018, the healthcare tax penalty is a greater of $695 per individual or 2.5% of household income, less the taxpayer's filing threshold amount. Okay, so even though the individual penalty is eliminated beginning with tax year 2019, returns filed in 2020, taxpayers will continue receiving these forms with information about their coverage. Okay, so yeah, it was just telling you that. For 2018, there's still a penalty, but from now on, you'll be okay if you don't have insurance. So here are some examples. Andrew is single and self-employed. He did not have any health insurance coverage during the year. His adjusted gross income is $50,000 in 2018. So in 2018, his flat dollar healthcare penalty is $695. And his percentage base, which is $50,000 minus $12,000. So $12,000 is your standard deduction now. Fifty grand is how much he made, minus twelve grand times two point five percent is nine hundred fifty dollars. Since nine fifty is greater than six ninety five, he will have to pay the percentage of income penalty of nine fifty. Alimony, deductibility of alimony by the payer is repealed for any divorce or separation decrees executed after December thirty first, twenty eighteen. So you can't. Deduct your alimony payments if you got divorced after December 31st, 2018. So for all you out there who are planning on getting divorced, you better get divorced ASAP. <laughs> if the agreement is executed before January 1st, 2019 and modified after December 31st, 2018, the modification must specifically state that the new TCJA treatment applies. Alimony payments for agreements executed before January 1st are deductible from income by the payer and includable in income by the payee. So moving expenses. Moving expenses is repealed from 2018 through 2025. For the armed forces, taxpayer must be on active duty and the move must be pursuant to a military order and incident to a permanent change of station. The taxpayer is exempt from the distance and employment conditions. Taxpayer may claim a deduction for moving expenses and exclude in-kind moving and storage expense and reimbursement for the expenses. Sale of your primary residence. I don't think this changed. If you have a capital gain from the sale of your main home, you may qualify to exclude up to $250,000 of that gain from your income or up to $500,000 of that gain if you file a joint return. So in general, to qualify for this thing, which is called the Section 121 Exclusion, you have to meet both the ownership test and the use test. So you're eligible if you have owned and used your home as your main home for a period of at least two out of the five years prior to its date of sale. You can meet the ownership and use test during different two-year periods. However, you must both however you must meet both tests during the five-year period ending on the date of the sale. So you can live in your house for two years and then you can rent it out for three and then sell. You still get it. You can also live in one, rent for two, live in one, rent for another, sell. Or you can just live in your house the whole time, sell. Generally, you're not eligible for the exclusion if you excluded the gain from the sale of another home during the two-year period prior to the sale of your own home. 
Okay, so that means that if you had another house that you're doing this with, you probably can't take this deduction, you know, within the two-year time frame. Mortgage interest limitation. Qualified residence interest is interest as paid during the tax year to acquire, construct, or substantially improve a qualified residence. So basically, you can only get, you can only deduct the interest uh, for a property up to $750,000. So I guess the $750,000 worth of debt, the interest on that is tax deductible for anything that you buy after December 31st, 2017. But for anything before December 15th, 2017, then you can deduct the interest on something up to you know a 1 million dollar debt size so if interest was 5% then i guess 50 grand of that is deductible if you have to pay more then then no so one interesting thing is from 2018 to 2025 no HELOC interest is deductible if used for other purposes so HELOC is your home equity line of credit uh, but don't don't be scared. If you use your HELOC to buy other real estate, then you can write off the interest as you know a cost of doing business. Mortgage interest limitation. For example, in January 2018, a taxpayer takes out a $500,000 mortgage to purchase a primary residence. In February of 2018, a taxpayer takes out a $250,000 loan to purchase a vacation home. The loan is secured by the vacation home. And because the amount of both mortgages doesn't exceed seventy five. dollars because the loan amount doesn't exceed $750,000, all the interest is deductible. If the taxpayer took out a $250,000 home equity loan on the main home to, per- to purchase the vacation home, then the interest on the home equity loan would not be deductible. Hmm. So it's better to take out a second loan on a $250,000 house versus use your home equity line of credit because the interest is not deductible. Um, there's some stuff about getting credit for solar, and there's some stuff about medical expenses too, charitable contributions. The percentage limitation on charitable contributions for ta- for cash donated to public charity is 60% of AGI under the new tax law. It used to be 50%. Cool. You can now donate up to 60% of your AGI and, and still get a tax deduction. You also need to have a written acknowledgement for any charitable donation over $250. So anything under that, you don't need a piece of paper. Okay, so here's for all you Tesla drivers. The vehicle tax credit is up to $7,500. To claim the credit, the car must be purchased. So the credit belongs to you, the title holder. The credit only reduces the amount of tax owed. It can't be carried over from year to year. So hopefully you have enough of that tax to pay. The credit phases out once the manufacturer sells 200,000 vehicles. So from Jan 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2019, the credit for purchasing a Tesla is only 3750 And from July to the end of December of 2019, the credit is only 1875 Hmm, Tesla's been selling too many cars. So around this time, the CPS have been talking for a good hour maybe an hour and a half and they start talking about tax planning qbid qbid phase outs and to be honest i started getting pretty sleepy and i couldn't really concentrate very well and basically most of the information 
can be found online. And I just wanted to give you a nice example. Here's one last cool thing. Corporate tax rates. Before, corporate tax rates were 35%. Now, flat 21%. That's great. I mean, that's probably the... This is the reason why all these corporations were doing so well when Trump first became president, because he was saying this. He would make corporations pay a flat 21% tax rate. Uh, but from their slides, they were saying that it's not really beneficial to have a C-corp, especially if you're a flipper, because it's uh, the whole double taxation problem where you get taxed at a corporate level, and then when you pull the money out, you get taxed again. So if the corporation you own pays you a salary, then obviously you have to pay taxes as income, or if you get paid out as like a dividend, then of course there's capital uh, gains and there's like dividend taxes you have to pay. So overall, you're still paying more taxes. Now, for example, here's like a, here's an example. Imagine you have $100 taxable income. Your tax rate is 21%. So your tax is $21, just on the corporation side. Then what's left is a dividend of 79 in this account. And if you pull that out, then you get charged uh, 23%. So that's another $18. So your total tax burden is 21 plus $18. So that's $39. But if you have full QBI, which is the part I skipped, then your tax is only 29. And your tax burden, if you have no QBI, is only 37. So you're still making a little bit more money if you don't use a corporation. Although another flipper was saying, well, what if I just don't pull the money out? If I just keep it in the corporation, then instead of paying like 45% on your taxes when you flip a home, you're only paying 21. And then you can grow this pool of money much faster in your corporation. And then finally, finally, when you're an old, old person, you can pull it out. And then she was like, yeah, you can do that. Anyways, this was a very long podcast and I hope you were able to pay attention to it. I thought it was very enlightening. And I'm glad I do these things because even though I don't really understand, when I have to create a podcast and I read through the slides a second time, then I learn something new as well. So we're all going through this journey together and it's very exciting. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Happy holidays, everyone. It's the end of 2018 and I hope your 2019 is even better. Thanks. Take care.